as they head off, go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. We already read our passage for this morning, but if you snuck in a little bit late, uh, we are talking about the triumphal entry this morning. It's right there in Luke 19 from verses 28 down through verses 41, and you can read that as, we begin, as uh, I go ahead and get started. This morning, I want to talk to us about worship. Palm Sunday is the perfect Sunday for us to talk about worship. As we heard the kids sing, and as we see in the passage, as Jesus was marching into Jerusalem on the Passion Week, marking the beginning of the Passion Week, crowds gathered around him, singing Hosanna to the Son of David, peace on earth and glory to God in the highest. And as we talk about worship this morning, we have a chance to enter into the chorus that's been singing ever since that first triumphal entry. But here's my problem with this passage. That here on this Palm Sunday, as we have Jesus marching triumphantly into the city, there's a good chance that the same people that were singing and shouting Hosanna in the highest praises to the son of David were the exact same people who five days later would be yelling and chanting out, crucify him, crucify him. As we talk about worship this morning, I think that the place where I want to start is just the acknowledgement that there is a problem inside of us as it comes to worship. That there for the people in first century Jerusalem, as they're, as they're crying out to Jesus and there's this sense of excitement, that there's a little bit of inconsistency there. That five days later, Again, many of them would be chanting, crucify him, crucify him. For me, the first time I really started to understand worship, I believe I was in the sixth grade. I grew up in a church that sang hymns uh, and was pretty reserved as far as expression goes. And it wasn't that I didn't love hymns, it's just that they never really connected with me. You know, it was just amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know, and we would sing the songs and they were valuable words, but there was never really like emotional connection. I never really felt like I entered into worship until when I was in the sixth grade, I went to a summer camp and there was a guitar on stage. I thought, man, do these people even love Jesus? There's a drum. I don't know. I feel like they're telling me everything that uh, my dad told me was from the devil. Uh, but I still remember the first song that they sang. Uh, it was the chorus that, uh, that went along the lines of uh, Jesus, Lamb of God, Worthy, uh, uh, worthy to be praised, that one. Um, and I remember s sitting there as a sixth grader, being drawn into the music, kind of like feeling the, uh, the adoration of a God who would act like a lamb and die for me. And, and something happened in my heart, like there in that camp in the dark room where I was just like, Jesus, like, I want to worship you. And I would like to say that when my heart came alive, that was it for me. And now anytime one of those four Christian music chords are played, I'm in and I am all about worship. 
But that wouldn't really be the case. For me, I feel like in my life, there's an inconsistency when it comes to worship. There are times when I'm all in, hands up, heart abandoned, and there's a genuine welling of emotion in my heart, and it comes out as genuine praise to God. And then there's times when, man, I'm just frustrated by the music. I'm frustrated by what's going on in my life. I'm too critical or I'm too busy to really enter into the moment. And there's that inconsistency there. At times I'm all in. At times I don't even have the, have the courage or the time to enter into that moment. And I wonder if you're sitting in here, if that is true of your experience as well. That sometimes there is an authentic worship, but then other times it just seems like there's an inconsistency where you're unable to enter into worship. This morning I want to chat about that. I want to look at the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and I'm hoping that it will encourage our hearts to consistent and passionate worship. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our sermon this morning. Dear God, we were created for worship. There is nothing greater, there is nothing more important, Lord, than fixing our hearts, Lord, on you and allowing worship to genuinely flow out of that. And on that firm foundation of your character and your goodness and your glory, Lord, to be reflecting that back out into your creation. And so, God, this morning as we look at Palm Sunday, those many years ago, and as we look into our life, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a little bit of clarity. I pray that you would give us a little bit of motivation, Lord, to set our hearts aright again, to worship you fully, to worship you consistently, to worship you passionately. pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, I want to frame uh, our time together around three questions. And so if you're taking notes, you're welcome to write these down. If you're not, that's okay. I think that you'll be smart enough to follow along as well. First question that I want to ask this morning is, who do we worship? Who do we worship? And if you're taking notes, write down, we worship Jesus, the humble king. Here in this passage, Jesus tells us, or excuse me, Luke tells us that Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives. He's about to head down the valley, cross the brook Brook Kidron, come over on the other side and come into Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, the crowd that's surrounding Jesus and Jerusalem during the Passover feast would have been bursting with people. Josephus uh, a few years later would say that at this particular year, uh, there were over two, there were 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. And so this is a, a city that's just bursting at the seams with people. And as Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives, uh, all of the gospel writers tell this story of the triumphal entry of people crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Matthew, Matthew 
Matthew says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark just records the people crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is, blessed is the coming of our father, David. John talks about how blessed is the king of Israel. All of these uh, statements are pulled out of Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament and is a song that the Jewish people would have sung as they celebrated the Passover feast. But in the middle of their praises, while they're waving the palm branches and taking off their coats to give Jesus a red carpet entrance into the city, I think that the people missed something. They had to have, right? Because if they didn't miss something, if this worship was genuine and authentic, it just doesn't make sense that five days later, the same people would be calling for Jesus' death. I think the thing that they missed in this story was the donkey. And honestly, until I started studying this passage in a little bit of depth, I always thought the donkey was just a prop for the story, right? That, that this is what Jesus brought in because he knew that at some point in time, flannel graph was going to be invented and we were going to need a, a, a little bit of color, color that we could throw onto the flannel graph so that as we taught kids the lesson about Jesus marching into Jerusalem, that there would be a donkey there and the kids would love the donkey. And I always thought, that's it. That's why the donkey's included in the story until you take a closer look. And honestly, all of the gospels include the donkey in the story. And not just like that it was there, but the details surrounding this. That Jesus sent a couple of his disciples into the city ahead of them and said, hey, go into the city. When you come into the city, you're going to find two donkeys tied. A mom and its young colt tied there. Go grab them. And if anybody asks, hey, why are you grabbing these things? Just say, the Lord has need of them. And so they do. They march into the city, and just like Jesus says, they find two donkeys, a mom and its, and, and its son that had never been ridden on, and they grab them, and the owners say, hey, what are you doing? They said, the Lord has need of them. And he said, all right, that makes total sense. And they let, they let the donkeys go, or they let the donkeys go with the disciples, and on bringing the donkey to Jesus, the disciples lay their coats on the colt of this donkey, this young donkey that's never been ridden on. And it's on this young donkey that's never been ridden on that Jesus starts marching towards Jerusalem. Here's what I think the people in the first century missed. That Jesus was riding on a donkey and not a horse. In this passage, Jesus is making a satire of triumphal entries. Kings would ride into their city either to receive their throne or to come as they're coming back from a conquest, and they would ride on, on, on majestic horses as a symbol of their power. They would march into the city. Palm branches would have been waving in other processions as other kings rode into their capital. But Jesus, in this, in this uh, situation, specifically picks out a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah that their king would come in riding on a donkey. And in this, Jesus is saying, I'm a king. But pay very close attention. I'm a king that is not going to act like every other king. And I think it's because the people missed this 
that they missed their opportunity to truly enter into worship. I think it's because they missed that Jesus was going to do things differently than their expectations, that these people missed the opportunity to consistently worship Jesus, and instead they flipped over, they lost their worship, and instead they were caught crying, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus frequently misses our expectations, doesn't he? It's because he's mirroring the God who does the same thing. That God frequently comes to us, and instead of, instead of acting in a way that we want him to act, many times he does the complete opposite. And that can be such a frustrating experience, where we want God to come through in one way, and he says, I'm not going to act in that way. He said, God, I, I need you to deal with this consistent health problem. I don't have the strength to go on anymore. God, I know that you're capable to heal me. Would you heal me? And it seems like heaven's silent, where God doesn't come through and do the things that we want. God, I'm lonely. God, I, I want you to surround me with a good group of friends. That's why I'm here at church. That's why I'm trying to like follow you, so that you can surround me with your church, your community. God, come through and provide meaningful relationships for me. And he doesn't. For the wayward child who's going his own way, going her own way, and it just seems like you're praying nonstop. God, how could it be your will not for my child to come back home? I've read the prodigal son. When is my son or daughter going to wake up, come to himself, and come back home? And we sit in that tension of broken relationships, of rebellion that's ruining our homes, and we just think, God, when are you gonna come through for me? And yet God doesn't meet our expectations. Here's the beautiful part. I think that in this picture of Jesus riding on a donkey, that he's actually providing a miracle in that very act. The gospel writers all tell us that this is a donkey that's never been ridden on. Believe it or not, I've never actually been around a donkey, much less ridden a donkey. Uh, but from everything that I've been able to find out on Google and on YouTube, uh, an extensive education, I have to say. Uh, donkeys aren't animals that one day you just pull along and say, all right, today's the day. I'm going to hop on you and I'm going to ride you. Donkeys are very timid and set in their ways. It takes extensive training for them to be able to carry loads on their back and to not throw people off or kick them in the face. And Jesus here, I think Jesus is doing a miracle in the mundane. That as those coats are thrown on and he hops on, there's a sense of authority that I am going to, I am going to have, I'm going to do something amazing even if the people around me don't see what's going on. That there's a miracle happening in Jesus riding the donkey. But not only is there a miracle in this moment, I think that as Jesus is riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, making fun of how other kings run their kingdom, Jesus is actually pointing ahead to five days. That in five days, there's gonna be a similar type of humility. 
in five days, there's going to be a similar type of loss where, where, where Jesus is going to have a placard placed above him that this is the king of the Jews, but he is not going to look like any other king has ever looked before. Instead of asserting his authority, Jesus humbles himself and becomes obedient even to the point of death on the cross. But in that humility, in that sacrifice, in Jesus saying, I'm not going to act like every other king has acted before, Jesus is providing a miracle. Amen. That he is able to bear our sins in his humility. He is able to take our punishment in his suffering. By his wounds, we are saved, Isaiah tells us. That as Jesus rides the donkey, as he is on his cross, Jesus is providing a miracle for us to behold. I think so many times we just miss it. That we expect God to do things our way. We say, God, God, I, I know that this is what's best. And I wonder if Jesus is saying, you're missing the miracle because you're not seeing what's actually happening. That it might not be what you want. It might not be the way that you want this to happen. But maybe in that moment, in that difficulty, in the, the, the times when you think, Jesus, I, I need you to be strong and powerful, not meek and humble, that in that moment, if we don't miss it, Jesus is going to be working a miracle. Not that we want, but what we actually need. Who we worship is Jesus. The second question I want to ask this morning is how do we worship? How do we worship? If you're taking notes again, if you would write down sacrificially and vocally. And the problem with multiple pages of notes is that it's in here somewhere. Page one, page two, page three. Hey, there were five pages of notes and there's only four there. So <laughs> I'll solve that for second service. Come on back with me. The second point is how do we worship? In this story, I see that the, the people around Jesus worship him sacrificially and they worship him vocally. Here's why I say they were worshiping him sacrificially. They took off their coats. They laid their coats onto the donkey. And not only did they put their coats on their donkey, but they took him and they laid it on the ground as they were waving palm branches in order to provide Jesus a red carpet entrance into Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty particular with my clothes. I'm not really looking to take my jacket and lay it on a donkey so that somebody can sit on it. And I'm definitely not looking to take off my jacket and lay it on the ground just so I can provide a carpeted entrance for an animal to walk into the city. I think that the donkey is fine on the ground. As these people are surrounded by a king, what they do is annoying, what they do is unnecessary, and what they do is kind of extravagant. And a lot of times I think we might push back from worship and say, like, I'm not going to do that. It's annoying. It's kind of unnecessary. And it's just extravagant. I'm not going to enter into worship in this moment. I'm not going to live a life of sacrificial worship. But here's what I love. When you're in the presence of a king, you do what's annoying. You do what's unnecessary. You do the extravagant. 
One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is when King David is bringing back uh, the Ark of the Covenant into, into his possession. And as he's doing that, he decides to have a royal dedication where he buys a parcel of land, buys a ton of animals in order to sacrifice and to celebrate the moment that the Ark of the Covenant is coming back under, his, uh, under their protection. It isn't just a sideline thing. And in that moment, the person who owns the parcel of land that David wants to buy in order to celebrate and to sacrifice says, This is a wonderful occasion. Let me give you the land. And I love what King David says. I would imagine that it's in my notes, but it's not there. (laughs) King David says, I will not worship God in a way that costs me nothing. Man, this, this Passion Week, can we take seriously the aspect of sacrifice? Be it annoying be it unnecessary, be it a little bit extravagant? Would we realize that, that in a special way this week, we are in the presence of the king? And as we are in the presence of the king, we do the annoying, we do the unnecessary, we do the extravagant. And then secondly, we, we, we worship vocally. Uh, a few years back in a sermon, I think it was on thankfulness, uh, Andy Stanley said, unexpressed gratitude is useless. Kind of what he was drawing out is how many of us in our hearts, we feel emotions, specifically he was talking about gratitude, where we feel, (coughs) excuse me, we feel appreciation towards other people, but many times that appreciation stops short with us feeling it in our hearts, and we don't take that next step of expressing it outwardly. And what I love about this passage is that people weren't praising God in their hearts. They were letting it out. There was a vocal worshiping of God. Because unexpressed worship might just be useless. That there is a, there is a need for us. C.S. Lewis says, as we, as we vocalize, as we tell other people about the good things that are happening in our life, that is when the joy is completed. And I think that when we express our worship, that is when God's work in our heart comes to fruition and we see the fullness of worship when it's vocal. Third question that I want to ask to this morning, just real simple. Will you worship? Will you worship? In the passage, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, silence your disciples. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If, if we don't worship, the rocks themselves are going to cry out. And in it, it's like Luke is providing this contrast. He's like, he's putting out these two options. On one hand, there's people who are saying, hey, shut your disciples up. On the other hand, Jesus is saying, guys, if this is so natural that even creation gets this. Creation is groaning and longing to enter into worship. And if you guys don't do it, the stones are going to cry out and worship in your place. And the question that Luke leaves us is, will we worship? Will we worship? I've been talking a lot about worship And in the back of my mind, I've primarily been thinking about singing, about singing. And honestly, it's it's a little weird to spend 
to spend 20 minutes of our time talking about singing and worship. But what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 is out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And I wonder if sometimes the reason that we feel uncomfortable expressing a genuine worship to God is because there's a heart issue. Is that there's something going on in here that inhibits this. On this Palm Sunday, my question to you, church, is will we worship? Will we join in the chorus of 2,000 years praising our humble king who went to the cross to not give us what we want, but to give us what we need? Let's stand together and let's sing.